please join with me in welcoming our speaker this morning, my friend and God's servant, Kent Anderson. Well, that's nice, but that's way too much about me. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just happy to, uh, to take you to the Word of God today. Uh, first of all, though, let me just thank you on behalf of the seminary for your support of our school over these many years. I know that many of you here today are alumni. You've studied with us in the past. Others of you have supported us in all kinds of ways. You've prayed for us. You've given money and time in, in all sorts of ways to, to help us prosper as a, as a school. And we really are grateful for that. And we really need it because as a, a group of churches, as a family of churches in our fellowship, we need uh, to see a, a steady and constant and growing stream of gifted and called leaders who can help our churches prosper and grow in their ministry the, for the kingdom. So we're really grateful for the help that you provide. I know there are a lot of great schools out there. Uh, I know all these schools. Uh, they're... they're uh, uh, staff are friends of mine. We work well together. We value what each one brings to the table. But Northwest Baptist Seminary is your seminary. We are directly accountable to you and, uh, and to all of our fellowship churches. And uh, that's kind of special. And so we're really pleased to have the opportunity to share with you a little bit this morning about the challenge that is in front of all of us as we look to our future together. So I'd like to, to take you to Acts chapter 6, which is a, a, a text a lot of you probably know. Uh, I've been thinking about it a lot more lately. Acts chapter 6, and uh, just read the first seven verses. It says that in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and, and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith, which I think is very cool. Uh, let's pray together and, uh, and ask God to speak to us. Lord, we, we are thankful for your word, which just always strikes us with how uh, relevant it is, and how much it has to say to our lives today. And so we just ask that, that you would have your way with us, that you'd speak to us, uh, that you would, we're, we're going to do our best to listen, Lord. That's our commitment to you right now. We, we're, we're going to read this text. We're going to try and understand it. We're going to listen for your Holy Spirit, because we want to know what it is that you're saying so that we can respond. It might be difficult for us to respond, but we're going to try because we love you, and as we've just celebrated you, you, the sacrifice that you made for us, we understand that, uh, that, that um, there's a debt here that we could never repay, but we're going to try. And not, not to repay it, but, to, but to, to serve you in gratitude for what you've done for us. And one of the ways we're going to serve you is by listening this morning. 
and trying to hear what it is that you say so that we can respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it takes a lot to run a place like this, doesn't it? I just really appreciate uh, Sean, you and the team and everybody who's been participating this morning so far in making this happen. And there's more to come later in the day, I understand. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you, but if you, if you just maybe show up on Sunday morning, you know, you kind of drag yourself out of bed at, at, uh, at you know, at 9.45 to show up here at 10.30, uh, you know, you might not really appreciate all that goes on and just how much it takes to, to make this kind of thing go. And of course, not just the morning service, but everything uh, that the church stands for. I mean, leaders know, right? Leaders know what it takes. And it takes a lot. I was looking at your, your bulletin here this morning, and, uh, you know, I got exhausted just reading this thing. When you look at all the events, all the uh, situations, the opportunities, and it's fantastic, right? You're an active church achieving all kinds of great things for people in your community and uh, within the church, and wow, it's just, it's just really complicated, isn't it? I mean, to pull all this off, to make all this happen, it's a lot of work. It requires a lot of people. It requires leadership, like vast amounts of leadership, who, people who need to be trained and called and gifted. And, and uh, I, you know, I get tired just thinking about it sometimes because it's just a lot more complicated than it used to be. As, as Harvey mentioned, I've been around for a while now and, uh, you know, I've been in churches for like 50 years and had uh, been involved in pastoring and leading and serving in all kinds of ways and now trying to develop other leaders. And it's just way more complicated now than it used to be. Have you noticed that? <laughs> like on several levels. You know, I mean, think about this worship thing. I don't know about you and, and, and your team here, but I serve occasionally on the worship team at, at our church at home in um, Langley, Surrey area. And uh, I was talking to our worship pastor on Friday night, and uh, he had just recently counted up all of the people that it takes for us to operate and manage the worship service, just the worship service. I mean, not the the Sunday school and the children's ministry and and this nursery and all of that, but just the people who usher and sing and play guitar and, you know, prepare communion and make the coffee and shake the hands. 73 people. And, and, and we're nowhere near the size of church that you are. That's a lot of people making a big investment just to make a Sunday morning happen. It's incredible. When I was on, two weeks ago, I served on our worship team playing guitar, which I do once in a while. I had to practice every night that week for at least an hour just to be ready for the rehearsal. Because when we showed up at the rehearsal, I had to be ready to go and I had to know that music cold. We had a two-hour rehearsal, and then it went overtime. It was, it was scheduled for two hours. We were at the church two and a half hours before the first service that Sunday morning uh, to, just, just to be ready, you know, to lead people in worship. It's an incredible commitment. I think about the old days when I used to just kind of show up and, you know, pick a few songs and, uh, you know, give the list to the pianist, and away we went, you know. <laughs> Those days are gone, <laughs> you know. Like, it takes investment now, huge amounts of energy and effort by all kinds of people to do the things that we're called to do. I remember in the days when, when you know, as a pastor, we used to have one Wednesday night prayer meeting. And it was great. You know, we'd come and I'd say a few words and we'd spend the evening praying together. And uh, it's fantastic. 
Now, you know, every church I know doesn't just have one prayer meeting. They might have a meeting like that, but they have groups, small groups, larger groups, lots and lots of groups. And our church, again, not a large church, we have a few dozen of them. I don't know how many you have here. I know churches with hundreds of small groups, each of which needs a leader, <laughs> somebody who, who is gifted, somebody who's called, somebody who loves people. And, and it's not just that we meet to pray and study the Bible anymore. I mean, we do all of that, but we're often pastoral care. We're engaging in service. We're doing so many things now. Expectations have risen in spectacular ways, and it's all great, but it's hugely challenging. You know, in our church, again, sorry to keep talking about our church, but I don't know your church that well. Maybe one day I'll come back and tell you all about you, but you know about you, so I'll tell you about us. <laughs> and we, uh, we have cultures in our church now. We used to pray about that because we were quite concerned that we were too monocultural. Well, my goodness, now in our church, we have a Chinese congregation where the services are in Mandarin. We have a Korean congregation. We have a pastor uh, from India. We have an Ethiopian group in our church. I spent half an hour last Sunday talking to an Ethiopian leader uh, in our congregation. Amazing stuff. We have a group of about 30 or 40 people from Myanmar. Um, you might know it as Burma. Uh, they're uh, from the province. Uh, they're, they're known as Chin people. And uh, they're now, starting next week, coming into our congregation en masse, the whole group of them. And we're trying to figure out, you know, as a worship leader, we're trying to figure out how do you worship in such a way that people from that part of the country feel comfortable and good and feel like they can really praise God and be a part of the whole thing. It is so complicated. <laughs> like it's, just, it's just not like it was anymore. We've got generations and cultures and challenges all over the place. You know, we... Uh, uh, regulation. We were talking about this yesterday, some of us. Uh, these, the old days when I was at, at Richmond working with your kids there and we'd go on a ski trip, nothing to it. We'd just pack up and, you know, make the appointments and off we'd go. Now you got to have, you know, the right kind of insurance and waivers and all this legal stuff going on. You know, we got to run criminal record checks just to have a Sunday school. You, I mean, it goes, goes on and on and on. It's just incredibly complicated, and it requires leadership. Leaders know what it takes. It takes a lot, a lot of us and a lot from us. And and the truth is, even though I kind of sounding like I'm complaining a little bit about the state of things these days, it's really kind of always been like this. I mean, at least it was in the early church. And when I read this text, I see parallels all over the place. You know, this church was growing. This church was growing rapidly. You know, we had that situation in Acts chapter 2 that you'll remember when Peter preached his great sermon and 3,000 people came to faith all at once. 3,000 people. That is awesome. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great if that happened? Well, it probably won't happen this morning because there's not enough of us here, but maybe next Sunday. And Pastor Paul will preach a sermon and 3,000 people people from Parksville will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Incredible. Wouldn't that be exciting? Yeah, it would. It would, except if I'm Paul, if I'm your pastor, I'm thinking to myself, okay, 3,000 people. All those people need care. All those people, you know, bring their life issues with them. All those people need to be led. They need groups. They need to, uh, you know, systems. It. I, It's complicated. 
And this is what was happening in in that first church. Thousands of people coming to faith. And then it says that there were more added every single day. People coming to faith in Christ. What a wonderful thing. We long to see that. We, we, we have people coming to faith here in this church and in my church and in all our churches, but, but not quite to this degree. You know? All these people coming in, huge complexity. Things were starting to change. It used to be pretty straightforward. You know, not so much anymore. Now they're getting into different cultures and different expectations and all sorts of things going on. One of the issues, as you see here, that we're starting to see this this cultural complexity now. I mean, it used to be pretty much just just the the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem and the the environs there, but but now you have Greek Jews coming to faith in Christ. And very soon, you're going to have Gentile people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And as you read through the book of Acts, and you see how things spread to Antioch and beyond, and you read through the New Testament for that matter, you see that things get really complicated very quickly, partly around cultural issues, like I just described in my own church. I mean, we have, in my church, we have no idea what to do with Ethiopian people. You know, what do they like? What do they know? What do they, if I was at my church this, this morning, we're actually having a, a dinner together uh, after the service, which we do once in a while. But this isn't your old-style potluck. This is Indian food, uh, you know, prepared by an Indian chef. And I don't even know what it's going to be, you know, what, what they'll eat, because I'm not used to that. It's just different, way different. So in this text, we've got uh, the Greek Jews, and we have the Hebraic Jews, and they're trying to care for their widows, which is a wonderful thing. You know, again, you know, increasing complexity, more people, there's needs now. And so they recognize the pastoral care need of these widows. They needed to be fed. They needed to be cared for. Now, you know, maybe that's a a ways away from the preaching of the gospel and the prayer and the teaching and all of that that they were focused on in the early days of the church. But now things are starting to develop and they got to care about stuff like this. They got to take care of people because they have all these people as part of the community. And so they're providing food for widows, which is a wonderful theme that you find throughout the New Testament. They're taking care of this, but it's kind of breaking down a little bit as things grow. Some people are being overlooked, and that's just a natural thing, right? Like, I don't want to get down on anybody in this passage too badly, because as human beings, that's what happens. When complexity grows, things break down. You really have to watch things closely in order to make sure everybody's getting served properly. Now, in this case, you know, it was the majority group, the Hebrew Jews and their widows, that were, were uh, getting better care. And, and the minority group w- was getting poorer care here. And so they did what people tend to do, they started to complain a little bit. You may have heard that that sort of thing happens in churches. Not this church, of course, but in churches that you've heard about, when things break down and things get complicated and people start to struggle, they sometimes complain. And that was going on here. And so they had to deal with it. They had to deal with it. There was increasing scale, increase in expectation. Increase in complexity, increase in opposition. You know, when you read at, in verse 8 and 9 of the chapter 6, you see that while Stephen's out there and doing great wonders and miraculous signs, and people are coming and responding, and it's all great, except 
people started noticing and they didn't always like what they were seeing and so they started opposing. And that's what happens when you start making a difference, right? When you start doing great things, you're making a difference, you're stepping out, you're, you're, you're standing out, you know. People start shooting at you. If, if you don't want to be opposed, just keep your head down. You know, don't say anything. Don't, if, you, if you want your life to go smoothly and easily without any kinds of opposition, just don't step out. You know, don't stand up. Keep your head down. If you actually want to lead, if you actually want to make a difference for the glory of God, if you actually want to see something happen, you're going to have to face some opposition. And that's what happened here. And so we've got increase in scale, increase in complexity, increase in expectation, increase in opposition. And see, that's where my ears perk up as a leader. You know, as somebody who's actually, you know, who's pastor churches and who thinks about this all the time, I'm thinking to myself now, okay, what did they do about it? You know, all this going on, how did they respond? Because I want to learn from that. Okay, so how did they respond? What'd they do? They multiplied leaders. They went out and found more leaders. Because it was too much for the apostles on their own terms, in, in their own way. I remember when I, I, Harvey mentioned, I pastored our church up in Prince Rupert. And when I first got there, it wasn't a large church. You know, we had about 100 people or so when I first got there. And um, it was just me, you know, like I was the whole show, you know. <laughs> I, was, I was the guy who, who preached the sermons and printed the bulletins and answered the telephones and played the guitar. And, you know, it was me. And uh, it just about killed me, <laughs> you know, like, like really, it was really hard. And I remember uh, after a year, year and a half of this, just, to, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. So I, I, there, was, there was a morning that uh, I was just, uh, I was just feeling, I, I was just broken down. And so I called the, the chair of our board and I said, can we meet? And he said, sure, how's Tuesday? I said, no, now, <laughs> I want to meet now. So we went downtown to a restaurant and it felt to me like the whole place was filled with everybody I knew from the town and, and all that kind of stuff, but it didn't really matter because I just had to pour out my heart to him and tell him how I was feeling and I'm crying and he's, oh, it's all. <laughs> it was a, I was a miserable guy. But I got to tell you, that church stepped up. That church responded and it was the most beautiful thing. People started emerging. We, we you know, first of all, you know, hired some help for me. <laughs> in the office, and that was a start. And then we, found, we started thinking strategically about leadership development within our church, how to develop the people that we needed in order to achieve the things that God had called us to and not burn each other out. I could talk a long time about how that went, but it was exciting. When this first church found themselves facing these kinds of struggles, the response to it was to multiply leadership. And I want you to notice with me how they went about doing it and what, what actually happened here. It says that, you know, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word uh, in order to serve on tables. So verse 3, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And I want you to notice that known to be part. How do we often get leaders? Well, you know, we put out ads sometimes. We collect resumes. We have search committees. You know, and I, I understand we do all that, and I, I've participated in that sort of thing. But look at how they did it here. When they were looking for help, when they were looking for leadership, they looked 
um, from among themselves. From among themselves. This was a discernment process. Okay? They didn't submit resumes. They didn't have an election. You know, I remember, oh, goodness, Harvey, you probably remember some of these meetings at Richmond when we, you know, the nominating committee would present their report and, and we turned it into an election. You know, I, I, I did, we didn't have speeches and signs, but, um, you know, it felt, <laughs> you know, we were electing. I remember a long conversation one time in the church when we were trying to elect the flower convener. <laughs> yeah, some of you have been around church, you know that term. Anybody here served as flower convener? <laughs> Great ministry. I love flowers. Beautiful things. <laughs> you know? But we're, we're trying to... We're, <sighs> when these people needed help, they looked internally and they discerned from among them people who were recognized to be those who were full of the Spirit and of wisdom. It was a discernment process. They looked around. They looked into they 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 spoke to one another. They shared life together. They recognized gifts that were were in the context of the church and who began to rise up. And that's what we got to do. So they were discerning people. They were discerning people who were full of the Spirit, which sounds like a good church thing. You know, the good kind of thing you you ought to look for in a church. Except when you think about it, it is kind of weird. Because after all, we are talking about table waiting here. Now, I was in a restaurant yesterday with Pastor Paul and Pastor Gerald, and, and, and we were served by a very fine young woman. She seemed very good at her job. Who knows? Maybe you're here today, this morning. I have no idea. I don't know her name. I, I Probably if I was more sensitive, I would have noticed. But uh, she did a great job of serving us, bringing us our food and our, our uh, water and what have you, our coffee. I, you know, I don't know if this person was full of the Holy Spirit or not. You know, maybe she's a believer and loves Jesus and is full of the Spirit. I, frankly, I got to tell you, I really wasn't that concerned about that issue when she took my order. <laughs> you know, because truthfully, you don't have to be full of the Spirit in order to be effective at table waiting. Right? So this was the, the task here. We've got this problem, this food distribution problem. So what do we need? Well, normally, I would think that we would start quantifying what's involved in attending to food distribution. <laughs> you know? And so you might look for some management skills. You might look for somebody who understands food. You know, in these days, somebody who has the food safe certificate and all that. But they looked for people who were full of the Spirit for this very practical task. I'd suggest to you that we've done ourselves a disservice at times when we've tried to distinguish between the more managerial work, the administrative work, the physical work of the church from the the spiritual work of the church. I know there's many of you who serve in all kinds of interesting ways here in this congregation. You feel called to the work you do. That's fantastic. Here's the thing. Every calling is a spiritual calling. Every single one of them. If you're serving in some way, I don't care if you're shaking hands or pouring coffee or printing bulletins or playing guitar or preaching sermons. We're looking for people who are full of the Spirit 
Because that's the ultimate objective for this whole thing. We're trying to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we're all banding together in order to see that happen. And we need to be full of the Spirit. We need to be responsive to the Spirit. We need to have that mindset as we do the things we do. Take Stephen, for instance, the so-called uh, chairman of the, this first deacon's board. I mean, a lot of people, suggest, it's not certain, but a lot of people suggest that, that this was the first deacon's board of the church because of uh, the use of the Greek word diakonos in, in this text. Well, you know, I know that, and, and again, I don't know how it works here, but I know in a lot of churches we have this, this radical separation between the, the spiritual leaders, the elders perhaps, and then the deacons and those who do administrative management in the church. Well, that's fine, you know, as a, uh, a way of kind of dividing up the labor. But let me repeat, I don't care if you're the deacon, I don't care if you're the elder, I don't care if you're the, the bulletin folder, <laughs> you know, it's a spiritual calling. And we see that in the life of Stephen. Stephen went out from this, this calling, and what did he do? In the uh, end of chapter 6 and, and throughout chapter 7, what do we find him doing? Doing wonders, miraculous signs, and preaching one of the best sermons that has ever been preached on planet Earth. <laughs> Read chapter 7. He's preaching. <laughs> so, so this radical separation we make between the spiritual work and the physical work, it doesn't seem to hold, at least not from this text. Not very well. Every calling is a spiritual calling. Uh, and... and, and Great leaders are known to have what it takes here. They're known to be full of the Spirit. They're known to be full of wisdom. And this is an interesting thing. I'm not sure how they went about the whole process here, you know, in terms of caring for the widows. We don't really see that played out. I've looked. You know, I'd really like to know, you know, how did they organize themselves? Maybe it's a good thing because if I saw like a flow chart or something or, or you know, an organizational structure here in the text, I might be tempted to copy it like all the time. And that might not be actually a good thing. So we don't know exactly how they managed it and, and how they handled it. But, but we do see some evidence of wisdom in how they were actually appointed. And in particular, who was actually appointed here. And you notice that the problem, remember, was uh, you know, a, a problem between the Greeks and the Hebrews here. And the, the minority was being overlooked and felt hard done by. So who do they choose to address this situation? Seven people. I read their names to them. I don't think I did it very well. They're, they're hard enough to read. Uh, but interesting thing about those names, every one of those seven names is a Greek name, which is kind of weird. Because if, if you or I were doing it, probably, you know, the way we typically do things, we got this, this, this problem. We've got a minority group here. We'll include a couple of them on the board, you know, in order to give them representation, you know. No, that's not what happened here. They said, we got a problem here between the Hebrews and the Greeks. We're going to uh, set up a group to resolve this problem. And they're all Greeks. They're all from the minority. <laughs> and I think that's an, just an incredible thing to notice. I, I, I think that speaks counterintuitively to us. I think it, I think it represents something of the Jesus ethic, you know, that, that we 
that we look to the minority, to the overlooked, and we call forward people who, who perhaps hadn't been recognized to this similar degree in the past. I think that's just a tremendous thing, and I love it when I see that sort of thing in Scripture. These are people known to be full of the Spirit, known to be wise. These were servant leaders. Servant leaders. Think about Stephen again. I mean, really, this guy clearly has gifts. I mean, significant gifts. This guy can preach. This guy is, is uh, leading in such a way that it says miraculous things are going on. Of course, the credit goes to God himself and to his spirit. But, but through the ministry of Stephen, he's a gifted minister of the gospel. And he's given the responsibility to overlook, or to, to not overlook, but to, to take care of the distribution of food. You know, it, Harvey said some nice things about me. He could have said some other things about me. I, I'm, I'm not always that wonderful, you know. Like, like I, you know, if it's me, and, and they're asking me to do that sort of thing, I'm, I might, you know, like, I may not say this, but inside I'm thinking, you know, I, I think I got more important things to do. You know, there, there's, there's a part of me that's going, ah, yeah, I understand this is important, but there's probably some other people that can handle that because I got to go preach this. You know, I got to preach three sermons at Parksville this Sunday. I can't be taking time, you know, to care about the equitable distribution of the sandwiches, you know. But that wasn't Stephen's heart. Stephen was a servant. Stephen gave his life for this stuff as we see at the end of chapter 7. They killed him. It's humbling. You know? It makes you stop and think. It makes me stop and think about attitudes. Leaders know what it takes. Great leaders are known for what it takes. Wisdom. Full of spirit. A servant heart. You know anybody like that? You know any leaders like that? Yeah, you do. This church is full of them. I know enough about you to know that. I, I've been getting to know your pastor a little bit the, yesterday and today. I'm better, I've known him before, but getting to know him a little better. I love this guy. <laughs> don't you? Come on, don't you love your pastor? <laughs> and his whole team here. You've got good leadership here. People who really know and love the Lord. People who are making sacrifices for your benefit, for the benefit of the kingdom and this community, and for the glory of God's own good name. And you should be grateful. But you know what keeps me up at night? In our region here in BC, in the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches, of which we're a constituent part, we got 13 
churches right now out of 100 that need a Pastor Paul. Think about that. That's to say nothing of, uh, you know, the youth pastors and children's pastors and worship pastors. And, and then beyond that, just all of the lay leadership, that people like yourselves that, that need to be trained and need to be recognized for their gifts and need opportunities. Harvey asked me, I, I didn't know what he was going to ask or say, so that's a little nerve-wracking. But uh, he asked me what it means to be a president, a seminary president. Well, I'll tell you, that's exactly what it means. Thinking about that. The fact that we've got congregations of people who love Jesus, who are trying to make a difference in their communities, and who lack leadership. And it's time we did something about it. You understand? It's time that we own the responsibility for, to ensure the viability and the future of our ministries and do something about it. Of course, we always have, but, but we've got to get serious in a way we never have before. You know, remember the Olympics? Of course you do. Great thing. You know the, the Own the Podium program? Wasn't that awesome? Where we said, if we're going to host the Olympics here in B.C., we're going to make sure that we do well. You know? And so the business community, the Canadian Olympic Committee, everybody, government, everybody got together and they said, we're going to find those people who have a good chance of success and we're going to get behind them. We're going to put money behind them. We're going to train them. We're going to mentor them. We're going to raise them up and put them in the absolute best possible position to succeed. And they did. And our country, to some degree, has been changed because of it. It's time we do something like that in our churches with respect to leadership. Yes, we depend on the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's the work of God done through us. But God works through our human servants, gifted and called to this work. People with enough courage to step up and respond to what God is asking of them. And I believe there's some of you here today that need to do just that. I really believe that. I remember 30 plus years ago when one of my father's best friends sat me down and looked me square in the eye and asked me if I was going to be a pastor. What a thing to ask. And I said no. And I meant it. He said, why not? And I thought I had the perfect answer. I said, because I haven't been called. He said, why not? What? (laughs) What do you mean, why not? I don't call myself to this. God calls me. He says, yeah, I understand that. But he he said to me, he said, "I, I just think you haven't been listening. And he talked to me about gifts he saw in me. And I'm thankful for that man. It took me a while to, to, to really hear. But I had a conversation like that last Sunday with a young friend of mine that I've got my eye on. <laughs> young guy who's been coming up through our church and <laughs> 
tremendous gifts. I love this guy. Just, he's a beautiful guy, and he just seems to get it. He loves Jesus, and he just has such a natural way about him. And I, and I told him that. And he said, nobody's ever said anything like that to me before. And I thought, that's wrong. You know, not wrong that, nobody, that, that he said that, but wrong of us as a church that, that it took us that long for one of us to actually get, get in front of him and express to him what we saw in him in terms of gifts. I went around afterwards all this week. I've been asking different people from our church about this guy. I said, do you see this? Am I alone here? And everybody's saying, no, we see it. We believe God's calling this guy. Well, it's high time we told him. <laughs> you know? So look around. We need you. God calls people. He still does it. He gifts people. And we need people who will rise up in this church and, and sing on worship teams. Way to go, you guys. <laughs> you know? Who pour the coffee, who pour the juice. Can you imagine? I was looking at this table. Can you imagine how much time it took to pour all those tiny little cups? Somebody had to do that. Thank you, whoever it was. <laughs> you helped us worship God today. It's a beautiful thing. We need to rise up and take responsibility for our future and, and, and our callings. And some of us need to go to another level. Some of us, God giving us strength, need to have the courage to respond to what he's saying to us by his spirit. We, first of all, we've got to start listening like I had to. My, my friend last Sunday, he says, I, he says, I, 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 I couldn't preach. And I said, really? And we talked about that. And he, after about 20 minutes, he said to me, you know, he says, it's just a confidence thing. Just confidence. I, I, well, confidence gets built as people, you know, build in. Mentor and invest. You've got a lot of wisdom in this church. I was sort of joking earlier when you asked me what a president does and I said, raise money. Well, you know what? That's actually true. Some of you have money and you need to part yourself from it. You know? In order to make an investment in people that God is calling, in order to see his kingdom come, churches built, people come to faith, families strengthened, Great things done for the glory of God here in Parksville and on Vancouver Island and in British Columbia and in Canada and all over this great world that God has given us until he returns. We will be accountable. We will answer for this. So let's step up. All right? I'm leaving. Um, So if you didn't like what I just said, I'll be gone in a few hours. (laughs) But I hope some of you get it and respond.